knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fish and Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, today. Uh, got a special guest and good friend on the air with me. And uh, we're going to be talking about a cool program uh, that I've recently become involved with. And I think it's really outstanding program uh, through Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. We're going to dive more into details in a little bit. But first up... Uh, well, actually, too, I'll mention we're going to talk about some of the military-inspired recipes that, that I, I wrote for BHA because I think it's really cool, one, the military history side of it, but two, uh, they're wild game dishes that, that have a lot of cool story behind them, and I always think that those things are fun uh, when you can relate your food, not just to the story of harvesting it, but to some historical significance. So um, we'll, we'll go through that. Let me get through some updates and give you some info on what we did uh, this past weekend. So this past weekend was uh, the last weekend of small game here in uh, Colorado. It actually ended yesterday. So I decided to take the kids out on Saturday for a little quick squirrel hunt, and we went and checked out some state wildlife areas and uh, found a lot of geese. Unfortunately, it's no longer geese season, Um, but uh, the squirrels were few and far between, and uh, we got to shoot the got to shoot the twenty two a little bit. My my daughter's nine, almost ten, and so trying to get her a little more comfortable with the uh, with the rifle. So uh, we did do that, uh, which was fun. And then um, nothing else really saw. 
So uh, it was interesting. Today I got a call from one of the, the game wardens, and you may not know it, for some of the state wildlife areas in Colorado, they have a uh, reservation system. And so each property is different whether or not it takes reservations and, and how long the reservations are. But a lot of them, um, I, I will footstomp this to say, make sure you check the regulation book. But a lot of them you can hunt after that reservation period's closed or if somebody's checked out of that slot. So for this one, the piece of property we were on, there were four four designated slots, which would be good for reservations. Uh, you only had to have a reservation up until noon. And then if nobody was in the parking spot designating they were in that slot, then you were good to proceed onto the land. So nobody was there when we got there, all that. We were there and I saw the truck come through and it cruised by the car and then departed. And then today I got a phone call and I, I knew exactly he was, he was asking, he's like, what time did you get there? I was like, we got there exactly like 12.07. I asked my daughter because I was like, we'll sit here in the car until it's noon before we can go in because that's the rule. And um, he was asking uh, that somebody had reported somebody shooting at birds and he had noticed some feathers and all kinds of stuff going on. And I was like, look, it was just me and the kids squirrel hunting. You know, we shot at some squirrels, but to no avail. So good stuff but uh now i have a nice point of contact because we got to start talking about the registration system and i expressed my frustrations and he's like call me anytime i know how it is to move from out of state to new state and try to figure out regulations i was like you don't even know what you just did like <laughs> i'll be like hey man i got a quick question for you I'll be like who's this <laughs> But no, it's good. Uh, I always like interacting with the wardens uh, and asking questions because they're a wealth of knowledge. And, you know, uh, I, I think that there's such a positive part of our wildlife management program in North America. And, and uh, you know, they're not out there to do to do bad to anyone. They're out there doing their job and enforcing the rules that we all want to see, you know, our natural resources protected. And those guys are guys and gals are doing it. But in addition to that, uh, we're now two weeks into registration for our wild pig camp down in Texas. That's going to be kind of a uh, hook to not hook a uh, field to fork event, whatever you want to call it. There's like numerous little names for that type of event, but uh, we're going to take you down there, do a shooting instruction, do a uh, cooking instruction, do butchering processing. Uh, everybody's going to get a chance in the kitchen. It's going to be my myself. It's going to be myself, uh, Ryan long, um, Adam Steele and Adam Berkelman's, uh, all teaching different aspects of the course over an extended three day weekend. So super fun. And then today, March 1st, the day that we're filming this, you're good today, March 1st, the day that we're, uh, recording this, we released our first spice blend. I don't know if you've seen it. You're traveling today. Here yeah. I saw it on the, uh, on the Instagrams. Ooh. Yeah. Big game blend. Super stoked. Uh, so we tested that for like two weeks uh, to make sure it was the right one. It was with four other different blends that we uh, kind of selected, and that was the front runner. I mean, we tested on everything from whitetail to mule deer to Roosevelt elk to Rocky Mountain elk to antelope to moose to black bear, and it was still the number one favorite across uh, the, the six of us who were testing it. So it it is... Uh, I can confidently say like the best all around wild game blend. <laughs> so, uh, excited for that. Uh, both the pig camp spice blend. And then of course our magazines coming out mid March. You can find all those, uh, 
all those notes down in, or sorry, links down in the show notes. Uh, if you want to click that, if not, head over to harvestnature.com. They're right on the homepage, and you can click about and learn more about those things there. So let me introduce our guest today. So our guest is the Armed Forces Initiative Coordinator at Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. He grew up near the confluence of the Mississippi, Missouri, and Ohio rivers in southern Illinois. He grew up chasing raccoons and coyotes behind hounds and running a muskrat trap line starting at seven years old in high school trevor guided for game farm pheasants and public land ducks today he follows his irish setters looking for native game birds on public land trevor hubs welcome to the wild fishing game podcast yeah thank you for having me i'm super pumped to be here this is exciting so it's fun i i'm i'm glad uh through all our 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 wheelings and dealings over the past month or so that I could get you on the show. Cause I know that you're, uh, you're busy running around doing good work. So thank you for making the time. Yeah. I think the last time you and I have had one-on-one time, I was about knee deep in a six pack, just shoveling lionfish that you had cooked in my mouth. <laughs> like no yep. idea who you were. I'm just like, Hey, you know, this coast guard guy that I'm supposed to be talking to by the way, this fish is amazing. Just stumbling around. Man, that was a, that was a fun dinner for sure. Oh yeah, um, it's delicious. I, I actually just got asked uh, yesterday if I wanted to do it again this year, and so uh, I am. Uh, I quickly accepted. I think the the program's changing a little bit, and I don't want to give away the details, but um, I'm, I'm going to be cooking a lot of a lot of wild food for a lot of people, which I'm excited about. So um, that is upcoming at the for those that aren't tracking the BHA Rendezvous, which is going on in uh, April. Uh, I encourage everybody to come to that. I'll put a show note, uh, a link in the show notes to that as well. Uh, it's a great event. I went last year, and in addition to all the cooking and competitions and canning demo that I did, like just you get to interact with like-minded people, which is really, really fun and really, really awesome. And you can see me there. You can see Trevor there too. He'll be there. <laughs> um. But other than that, let's let's talk a little bit more about you and um, where uh, I mentioned where you're from, but more detailed of where you're from and how you got introduced into the outdoors. Yeah, I mean, um, like you kind of said there, been uh, interested in the outdoors since I uh, was born, really. If I wasn't running my own trap line, I was following my dad and my uncle on theirs, and that was back when you could make quite a bit of money off of furs, like a lot of the... Uh, a lot of the, the blue-collar guys, like my uncles were carpenters and my dad was in the construction industry. Like It wasn't uncommon mm-hmm. to work until about October and then get yourself laid off to go trapping all winter because you could make just as much trapping as you could working your construction job. Yep. And it slowed down sense. winter anyway. So it was yeah. a really interesting time, a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, so it's right where those three kind of major rivers come together. Um, I mean, I was an hour from the Missouri maybe an hour and a half from the Ohio. So right there on like the Southwest corner of Illinois, close to, close to like Cape Girardeau, Missouri. If you guys know where that is at. So nah, no, <laughs> nobody does. It's not important. We're known for two things. Um, we're the town with uh, 700 people and seven churches and 18 bars. So that's, that's the town. So like it's disproportionate. I, I feel like everybody could probably fit in the bars. <laughs> <laughs> like oh, you just spread they're, the they're population out. Yeah. <laughs> they're much more popular than the churches. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I started running the trap line, always been involved with dogs. Uh, we had a pack of, I think, combined between my dad's dogs, my uncle's dogs, and then what I called my dogs, but really my dad's dogs. 
Uh, I think we had about 18. Uh, we ran, wow. um, yeah, we ran treeing walkers and uh, American foxhounds, and they all kind of mixed together. But it's that, if you, it's that, if you don't know hounds, it's that classic brown, white, black spotted dog that just runs stuff up a tree. But um, yeah, so we chased coyotes, we chased coons. Uh, it wasn't common, but you did end up with a bobcat. You did end up with black bears up a tree every now and then. People don't think about that in southern Illinois, but the Ozarks don't stop at the Mississippi River. They just kind of keep coming. Like They're not <laughs> mountains. I mean, it's not Colorado, but it's also not uh, Iowa or Nebraska yep. where it's just flat. So. I think about that. Uh, so I grew, you know, growing up in southeastern and eastern Oklahoma, and, you know, there was a bear population, growing bear population growing up, and we at times would go out uh, raccoon hunting, and I'm, I'm comfortable to say I don't think I ever ran across any bear, uh, which is interesting, but the thought never crossed my mind that it could even occur, but it's entirely possible. Yeah, it's. I mean, they're never big bears, but uh, there was actually a uh, – you can Google this, uh, Camp Andesank, which is a Indian word for something, but it's like Catholic school camp now, and you send the kids there for summer. They actually had a, uh, a pet bear, like a mascot unofficially, right, where mm-hmm. he would go live up in, the, up in the hills, up in the mountains during the winter, and they'd lure him out of this cave that he'd use every year with M&Ms, and the bear lived to be like 23 years old. It was wild. Then he'd just like come walking around and Everybody knows that's the bear. Makes me makes me think of the bear off that movie. Like, what is the Great Outdoors? Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just kind of always around. I forget what he's called, yeah. but there's been all kinds of bear stuff going on lately in in the world. Not not great things as far as regulations, but also too like a lot of run-ins with people, which is more uncommon than than most. But. Oh, absolutely. Um, like, um, I try and go bear hunting once a year, whether it's Idaho or Montana. And then this year I actually drew my first Wisconsin bear tag. Oh, cool. So I'm excited about that. But, um, yeah, you talk to the game wardens, you talk to the biologists, and they're, like, always trying to give you points that are, like, 300 yards from the Walmart dumpster. Like, it's public, I promise. That's where they're going to be. That's where you'll <laughs> see the bears. Like, okay. We're, uh, we came down from elk hunting, uh, during archery season this year. And I was like, I was holding an elk tag and an archery tag and we didn't see an elk until we were like, we were, we spent majority of our time, like 10 miles in up at 10,000 feet. And then we're like on our way back on the last day and we're a half mile from the parking lot and we jumped this monster elk and I'm like, like, great. And I'm like, well, you know what? There was a campground at the parking lot. So I'll just sit there this evening with my bow and just wait for the bear to come through <laughs> but exactly it, it, it's all, always wild that the places i mean they're attracted to where the food sources are so naturally they're going to be there but yeah i think um you know where i was last in florida now they're man they're having so much conversation back and forth you know the public i think uh, portions of the public definitely don't want bear hunting and then portions of the public want bear hunting and then portions of the public don't want bear hunting but also don't want nuisance bears and it's just like well who's who's going to manage the bears (laughs) exactly exactly and and in florida you can run deer with hounds down there so there's there's a large hound hunting culture in well in parts of florida at least in the panhandle from what i remember but uh yeah that's always been uh what i wanted to do like purposely go find a bear with hounds like and i've never had the opportunity to like done it again done it raccoon hunting uh run into it out west without a tag in my pocket like just kind of following hound hunters around and stuff but uh it's uh that's one of the coolest experiences i think i you can have as a as a hunter as an outdoorsman and uh 
yeah, I'm really looking forward to doing that in Wisconsin this year. So that's we'll awesome. I'm excited for you. It sounds like fun. So, um, as we kind of talk about military careers, and I mentioned in your introduction that uh, you are the Armed Forces Initiative Coordinator, and with that, there is this intersection between your previous military career, backcountry hunters and anglers, and the Armed Forces Initiative. Can we, let's let's chat a little bit about that because those are kind of three things to unpack. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I was in the Army, uh, Airborne Infantry. Um, Ah, I really enjoyed it. That's, uh, it's going back to like my hometown and stuff. I always have, uh, like kids or parents or somebody like walk up and be like, Hey, my kid's thinking of joining the military. Um, do you want to talk, do you want to talk to him? Just kind of tell him what it's about and your experiences. And I always have to like preface it like, Hey, I'll go talk to your kid, but I'm going to tell him it was the best eight years of my life. So you gotta, you gotta be cool with that before you invite me into the room. Cause I, <laughs> half the time I think they're trying to get me to talk him out of it. And I'm like, I really loved it. But, um, yeah, so Airborne Infantry, and then I, I went uh, in the Illinois National Guard and as an ROTC instructor at Eastern Illinois University, which is where I ended up getting my bachelor's degree, which was a ton of fun. Um, I recommend anybody currently serving, if your branch has an ROTC um, like program, I don't know if the Coast Guard does, but I know the Navy does, I know the Army does, um, go ahead and volunteer. You, like the majors out there, the staff sergeants, like mm-hmm. if you've got to go do like drill sergeant duty or recruiter duty, ROTC program is a great place to do it. Like you ask, uh, you go out, go to 20, uh, 20 colonels and ask them who their ROTC instructor was. And they all know it. Like you don't really get a chance, especially as an enlisted guy to influence that many officers and like mm-hmm. kind of create the army that you want to see. So, you know, I really loved being an ROTC instructor and then, um, ended up having a little accident that, uh, led to me getting a kidney transplant. Thought we were going to recover, get back into the army and like, uh, Go full service didn't end up happening that way. Can't be in the army with uh, without all your original parts. So got a kidney transplant, got a new one. Everything's working fine. Army says no go. So I've been out for this is uh, year six, and um, yeah, so it was interesting. But uh, while I was in, I didn't really hunt, especially over the last twenty years. It's been you know warfare. Everybody's on a really strict schedule of training, deployments, uh, rest. Like you just. And especially like guys being infantry, being um, any kind of special operations dudes, you're paid to go sleep in the woods and carry around mm-hmm. a gun. And it's uh, it's an interesting thing to where you get to the point where you kind of don't, it's work, you know, you don't see it yeah. as an enjoyable thing. So I guess it was 2016 or 2017. Um, my dad and my brother convinced me, this is after, after I'd just gotten out and they're just like, yeah, you should come deer hunting with us. We're really into it. And I grew up, everybody has an 80 acre farm in that part of the world where I grew up. So it's like, it's not public land. You just go out to the farm and shoot a deer. It's a harvest. So it's not, I wouldn't really consider it a hunt because you're going to see 20 deer every day. But anyway, <laughs> and I didn't want to go, I didn't want to do it. And they're like, ah, just come sit with, uh, come sit with me then and we'll bullshit and have some snacks and just mess around in the, uh in the deer stand and I was like, okay. And then whatever reason I ended up sitting by myself and ended up shooting the biggest deer of my life, uh, 186 inch whitetail buck at, uh, oh, wow. that actually like the way the stands are set up, my dad shot at it, my cousin shot at it, my brother shot at it, my other uncle shot at it. Like it just kept running down the line as far as I could go and ended up getting to me and it just kind of happened. And, uh, that's what kind of got me back into hunting. Like I'd duck, done a little bit of duck hunting when I was in the military, a little bit, here and there, but it was definitely more of a social thing. It wasn't 
it was work for me, shooting a gun, cleaning the gun, like getting outside that became work. So that deer really kind of jump started me back into it to where I'm seeing like, oh, this isn't, this is a leisure activity. This is a ton mm-hmm. of fun. This is started fishing again, moved up to Wisconsin in the past three years, really got into ice fishing. Like there's just a ton of stuff you can do. And then on top of that, I started taking guys that I was in the army with out hunting, just guys that I knew like, oh, if you're going to be around, like might as well get a turkey tag. Or um, I took one of my buddies from the 82nd Airborne. We went elk hunting in, uh, I'm sorry, in zone 67 of Idaho, which is a terrible zone. Nobody ever go there. You can't tell, but I'm <laughs> winking. But uh, no, so we went out there and uh, we didn't really... Uh, we didn't really plan as much as we should. It was, uh, it's a little intimidating just looking at these mountains. Cause like even at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, like you have the Appalachians, but, uh, they're not, they're not the Rockies and they're not, uh, so zone 67 is right on the Idaho side of like Jackson hole. So it's the Teton mountain range is what you're in. Yep. And we ended up walking 63 miles in eight days with like 65 pound packs. Cause we just had our issued, uh, army backpacks on cause buying that extra civilian gear gear that's uh that's for losers man that's a scam obviously <laughs> uh, i've since changed that opinion there's a ton of great gear companies out there that just make your life easier but um yeah so i mean he'd had a bit of a rough time the guy i was with and uh nothing nothing crazy but it's just having a real a hard time adjusting um ended up going through like a divorce and all uh, standard military stuff that just happens and i remember on like day three you kind of start to see like start to see the somebody I haven't seen since I was, you know, a 19, 18 year old private, like in him, like, I was just like, wow, that's, this is really interesting. There's something to this, you know? So I kind of got, or more or less, I really got addicted to that, like taking veterans out hunting. Like we didn't end up getting an elk. We ended up passing on a bear that we had a tag for at like 60 yards. It was just ridiculous. Made a ton of bad decisions, but we learned a lot. But yeah, ever since that trip, I've started, uh, I started volunteering with BHA specifically trying to get veterans outside and um, they started their Armed Forces Initiative in July 1st of 2020. And I started volunteering with that, taking veterans out, doing a lot of like the operations, back planning, backdoor planning stuff. And I tell you, it just, it doesn't matter whether you're in a duck blind or whether you're chasing a doe mule deer in the, the foothills of Eastern Montana, or whether you're in Northern Wisconsin chasing grouse behind a good dog. Like I, on day three, sometimes the evening of day two but normally it's like the morning of day three these guys wake up and they just get it it's just wild like and it's uh you could really see the change you could just see the enjoyment and that's when you can really start hitting them with like this is why these resources these wild public places are important like there's a ton of cool stuff about them you could talk about biology conservation ecology but for veterans specifically i like to look at it like this is you ask you why you joined the Coast Guard. You ask anybody in the AFI why they joined the military. Nobody's going to say, oh, because of American public lands and waters. But it's kind of like a, like a secret. Like you only find those things in America. You can't go do that in Ireland and Italy and Germany and these other Western countries. Like public lands and waters is kind of like an essential part of North American mm-hmm. and America, U.S. United States freedom. Like you just. We don't have the king's deer. These are everyone's deer. And if you're willing to work hard enough and walk farther than everybody else, you're going to get one. And it's just, I don't know, I really like that concept. And I really like taking veterans uh, veterans out hunting and kind of teaching them why I enjoy this and why they can get something out of it too. So that's what I've been doing. I actually got 
So I got hired on after being a volunteer for about a year and a half on uh, starting December. So now I'm not just running operations. I'm running the whole show. It's mm-hmm. a, lot of good, a lot of fun. And then you've, you've put an excellent team under you. Uh, not going to toot my own horn, but uh, I, I, you ask, and I happily joined as, as the communications and operations manager, I guess. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's spot on. We, uh, I quickly realized is that running four Canadian provinces and 49 U.S. states is more than I could fit on my plate. And I was looking for not, do, not guys that really – I mean, and this isn't meant to be insulting of you, but I'm not looking for the greatest hunter out there. I'm not looking for the best wild game chefs or the best guys in the world. I'm looking for somebody You're looking who's going to go out both. there. Exactly. <laughs> You're looking exactly. for both. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I'm looking for guys that are willing to get, to get dirty yeah. and go, uh, go kind of show all the just amazing places in this country has to offer – and you're one of those guys you get, and I'm not trying to toot your horn. Like you go get things done. If I give you a task, you will accomplish it. Like if you see something needs to be done, you'll go out and do it without me asking. Like you and really everybody we have on the board is pretty amazing. Uh, so we have six people on the board. That's including me. And some of them, like I think you and the other Justin really have two jobs where I could add two more board positions and mm-hmm. we have the work to justify it. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so we have that. We have 17 active duty installations across uh, the United States and Canada. I'm really looking for somebody in Hawaii to stand up a base out there because I want to go out there and fish. So if anybody's listening from Hawaii, I am very interested in getting your phone call. But, uh, yeah, so so we have 17 installations. So we have 20 states with AFI chapters in them. So installation is just like a Fort Bragg or a Fort Carson, Colorado. Um, just a bunch of guys who are currently stationed there or girls or whoever who want to get involved in hunting and fishing. A lot of people with similar interests. And where we started with this, this active duty portion is because like me, a lot of veterans like didn't hunt or didn't fish when they were active duty. And you talk to another member of the board, like a guy like Ryan, who was in for 20 years, like that's a 20 year break from hunting Mm -hmm. and fishing. And that's, uh, it's just, it's almost criminal, especially when you consider just all the benefits to, uh, just that transitioning process that hunting and fishing can bring a veteran. And I, and I think to, uh, I think about it from this standpoint and you mentioned earlier, like kind of the, the operational obligations and like training action rest and kind of like that whole cycle. But on top of that too, is like every two to three years or three to five years insert, you know, some year amount under five, you're moving. You're moving to a new place. Like, you know, I was telling my story about the warden earlier and it's like, yeah, I got that call and he recognized, you know, that I moved here and I moved here. I'm still trying to get my feet under me for Colorado regulations. Same thing happened when I moved to Florida, you know, what, five, six years ago, I had to learn all the regulations. Where do I go? What do I do? And I think another great thing about having these insulation uh, chapters is that, that it's a, it's kind of a point of contact of like, oh, hey, you're new here, but you like to hunt and fish. Like, come on, we'll, we'll show you the ropes. We'll give you the intro and maybe that gets you back out into the wilderness faster than you having to figure it out on your own. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the biggest, uh, the biggest example of that, like we have examples of that all over, like, uh, private hubs get sent from Southern Illinois to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. We've got people in place like, Hey, you want to hunt hogs? We got hogs. You want to fly fish in the Appalachians? I can teach you how to do that too. Then, Three years later, specialist hubs get set to Fort Carson, Colorado. I've never hunted elk in my life. Like, oh, let's 
now we have people there. Like I can call three months before I go and be like, hey, this is my move-in date. This is where I'm living. I'd love to get involved with hunting and fishing out there. I've done a little fly fishing, but not a lot. And yeah, you could just really just teach someone like you have a built-in mentor program right there. It's a huge success right now in our Alaska. We have three Alaskan bases going right now. And we're having like a reoccurring how to break down a moose class every two months to where they always have. Well, yeah, it's Alaska. So anything you do is going to be amazing. (laughs) But um, one of our our armed forces uh, liaison up there, uh, David May, he's doing a great job. But uh, he's just, I was stationed here. He says he was stationed there for six years and he never went hunting and fishing in Alaska. And he's like, that. I just wasted six years of this great opportunity. And there's a oh, ton wow. of guys that get sent up there that don't hunt or fish. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's, you know, that's the last frontier or whatever they say on the Discovery Channel. So, yeah, they do a moose breakdown class. In July, they're going to go tag a bunch of grizzly bears with the Alaska Fishing Game Department. They're doing salmon fishing run camps, like we understand the seasonality of it all. It's they're doing some great stuff, and it's all installations. Like, so it's really cool. So the other piece of AFI is like we have these twenty states, right? So picture a state like uh, Minnesota or Pennsylvania that don't have a active duty installation. So what those states have is what we're calling an AFI liaison, which is a just a state or region based leader. So Say you get out of the Army, you get out of the Navy, you get out of the Coast Guard, you move back home to wherever you're from, and maybe you want to take up hunting and fishing again. You got out of it, or maybe you stayed in it. doesn't matter. You get back home, you're a member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, or you, you just hear about us like, hey, here's a bunch of guys with your exact same life experience that could come take you hunting and fishing, or that could come just show you or just point you on a map like, hey, this is where I've gone, and it's a lot of fun, you know? And that really helps, uh, one, with the veteran population, but two, with the National Guard bases, with the reserves, anybody who's, I guess, more or less stationed there, but not on an active installation post. And then you also run into AFI liaisons in states like North Carolina, where we have multiple bases. So we have a club on Fort Bragg and a club on Camp Lejeune. So each of those clubs have a report up to the same Armed Forces liaison, who's Marty Bartram doing a fantastic job. He's probably the best operations guy I've ever met. Like just an amazing organizational dude. But um, yeah, so he's running two installations and he reports to into the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers North Carolina Club as one of their board members, right? So his job is to keep the North Carolina State BHA Club informed of any kind of military event that they're having, any kind of change in the regs or legislation that would affect military members. A uh, big example of this would be like hunting on Sundays, mm-hmm. where, for example, Fort Bragg, like you have guys come in from all over the world that get stationed there where they're allowed to hunt on Sundays. I'd never heard of not being allowed to hunt on Sundays. So that's a huge voting base. Like if you want to change that rule to being allowed to hunt on Sundays, uh, here's, you know, 17,000 paratroopers that would love also love to change that rule. Here's some votes. Like, let's get something mm-hmm. going. So Marty does stuff like that. And then same thing on Camp Lejeune with the Marines. Like, um, And there's other things. Like in Wisconsin, I know they're working right now where if you have um, – if you are on active duty – don't quote me on this. Obviously, every time, like Justin said earlier, look up the regs yourself. But for every year of active duty, I believe in Wisconsin, you get one year of a buck deer tag at no cost. But you don't get that benefit for a year in the National Guard or Reserves. 
And especially in the last 20 years, the National Guard and Reserves have actually been deploying at a more rapid rate than the active duty community. So we should really kind of extend those same benefits. If you're going to offer one, you should offer the other. So they're working on some legislation like that. And again, don't quote me. I don't know if it's one deer or if it's two deer or what it was, but it's something very similar to that. Yeah, there was a similar there was a, a, a similar thing in, in Pennsylvania when I went up there for the Flintlock season. It was, uh, I forget, I think if you bought you bought the deer tag, it was normally for a buck. But if you were active duty, you could take a buck or a doe. Or no, it was antler restriction. So if you, you are active duty military, and I don't know if it was National Guard at all or reserves, but uh, you, there was no antler restriction for you. So I was like, everybody's like, oh, Justin, there's a buck, there's a buck, there's a buck. Somebody's <laughs> like, I'm not going to shoot that because I can't see its full antlers. And I was like, you sent shoot it my way. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll take care of it. <laughs> but yeah, I uh, think Missouri has that same program too with the antler yeah. restrictions, but uh, not for active military. It's, so there's all kinds of stuff like that that these kind of state leaders are doing. And then my, uh, my instructions to all of these leaders, these geographic uh, zones have been, for each of them to put on no no less than two events per year. So like Minneapolis, or Minnesota, uh, no active duty base. They're taking 18 veterans out into the Boundary Waters this August. It's going to do a bunch of fishing, have a really good time. And then they're planning a, um, a wintertime camping event in December where I think we have a dozen dog sled teams in the Superior National Forest. And each oh, veteran is going to get a dog sled team and a pair of snowshoes. And you like cut snow with these devices and build an igloo every night. Cause they're like, no, no tents. You bring your zero degree sleeping bag and uh, some hot hands and that's it. And it's going to be really cool. So it doesn't have to be hunting and fishing. It's just sign, anything sign me up out. for that one. That sounds it's gonna like be a blast. Lot of fun. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to go up there and uh, probably rent a snowmobile and just follow these guys around. <laughs> Cause I don't want to take a dog sled team from, from one of the attendees, but uh, I just want to be involved. Like that just yeah. looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. It's so, just, it sounds like such a cool adventure. Yeah. And then like Fort Bragg, Fort Bragg's killing it. They do. They were our first uh, installation. So the ask of them as well is to do two events per year. But I think Bragg is already has five on the books. They have a turkey hunting one coming up in April, a fly fishing one in May. I think they're doing deer and hog. They may even do a bear because you can buy a bear tag over the counter in North Carolina. So mm-hmm. they're kicking some stuff around. But yeah, so no matter where you're stationed or what state you're in, we can get you into one of these AFI events. They're all open. Um, veterans, active duty, National Guard reserves, Gold Star families, anyone in that kind of military community, like they're open to apply. We do get a ton of applications. So just applying like doesn't mean you'll get in. But if you haven't gotten into one, like we, we really do our best to try and open it up for as much opportunity as we can. And, so and I, I will them, say for yeah. for my my active duty brethren out there that that a active duty membership to BHA is like what it's it's pretty inexpensive, fifteen dollars, like fifteen bucks, yeah, and that's for the whole year, and you get the slew of benefits that come along with it, but you get to see your your dollars go to something really good to kind of protect in protect in uh, public places and and things you really enjoy about enjoy not joy about (laughs) enjoy as far as hunting and fishing at midway usa we know the ar-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern american history known for its modularity and widespread use it's often considered essential to any gun collection the essential things you need to run an ar-15 are usually always in stock during shortages things like magazines and 556 ammo 
Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Yeah, I, I mean, you said it earlier, Rendezvous, it's just really, what well, Rendezvous is kind of like uh, BHA's banquet, your yearly mm-hmm. get-together for anybody that doesn't know. But you're just pulling people together from all across the country and... Even if you know if you don't go to volunteer, you just go in just to check it out. Like there's fly fishing or fly casting contest. Um, I think we have like a blood tracking contest last year where we used like red food coloring and milk, and we're just like guys with toothbrushes like spraying it on leaves and seeing, trying to get people to follow it. It's all kinds of cool stuff. But the biggest piece for me, as somebody who just I really like to try new things, new states, new areas, is I went there with a the plan. Like I want to run into somebody who can do or who has information on quail hunting in the southwest of, like, Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada. And within three hours of meeting people, they're just, uh, like, you kind of, like, casually drop that. Like, yeah, I'd really love to go down southwest and quail hunt. Oh, you should talk to this guy. You should talk to this guy. You should talk to that. You leave with, like, 26 points on OnX of, like, hey, this is where I would go, and this is what I would do in the direction. Everybody's – and I'm going to – don't join just for the spots, but – They'll even like, they'll be like, yeah, let's set up a time. I'll go take you. I'll show you this and I'll explain like why this is important. Like, oh, we just put a guzzler down here so we know there's a water source and we can start our dogs there and we know it won't be too hot. Because that's the other biggest thing, especially with any kind of dog-based hunting, whether it's hounds or bird dogs or labs, like you got to be aware of those dangers. Like I have my setters coming down to the Southwest. Like he's like, yeah, make sure you shave those guys before you get there. You got to shave them. You got to toughen their feet up. Um... Some guys buy like rattlesnake vests and stuff, and mm-hmm. it's and, and yeah, we've been dry hit. Me and my one dog is like a snake magnet. We've been we've been bit three times between the two of us, like by rattlesnakes in the Dakotas. Like we're just the worst 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 luck with snakes, but um, everybody's fine. I mean, I'll, it's an I'll remember few that. Days, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Keep me. I, I, I'm a, I'm a good snake guy for knowledge there, especially when it comes to dog care in the field. I've probably got the heaviest, biggest like dog medical kit of any other hunter I run into because my dogs are dumb enough to find find a way to a new way to hurt themselves. Oh, but, uh, but no, like BHA is great. It's a really open community. Everybody's interested in helping each other out. Like it's great. Yeah, I, I like it. I've been a member for a couple of years now, and and I think it's really great. And that's, you know, I definitely believe part of the reason I kind of leaned a lot in last year. And then when you asked me this year, there was no doubt in my mind. I was like, I'm always one. I'm always looking for ways to serve, you know, outside the military. But I'm also when my interests align with those service interests, like. It, it just makes it easier. It, it's not, it's like everybody else says, you know, if you're, if you're doing something you really enjoy, it's not really work. And it's like, if you're putting time forward to something you enjoy, it's like, I get to write recipes and post online and, you know, do cooking competitions and cook nice dinners and, you know, talk to people on podcasts and like, yeah, that's all stuff I really enjoy. So it's, it's, it, it's fun just to be able to do the same thing, 
but really contribute in my own way. You know, I'm not, I'm not the person to go help write laws or talk to Congress or do those other things like that. But, you know, you need a good quail recipe. I could help you out. <laughs> exactly. The, the amazing part that I've noticed um, just in the last three months of being a like physical employee of BHA versus a volunteer is the amazing opportunity you have to use those skills like cooking, deep frying quail, whatever you want to do in that political sphere. Like um, Martha Williams, director of um, – oh, I'm going to mess that up – Fish and Wildlife, right? She just got confirmed for Fish and Wildlife. Anyway, she's a big uh, she's a big muckety muck over there in Washington. Great lady, just solid uh, solid person to know. And she's in the BHA office, and that's it's exactly what we were talking about. We we're talking about quail or sharp tailed grouse and how to cook them and what she likes and what I like, and it's just really interesting. And then all of a sudden, now you have a relationship with somebody mm-hmm. that's super important. Like, hey, I'd like to know more about this legislation going on for the national grasslands. Can you help me out? And she's going to answer your call, and she's going to walk you through it. Or one of her one of her directors or is, or senior managers is going to do it. Like it's just, it's incredible how much you can use, like the skill sets you have to positively impact public lands, the hunting and fishing community, because we're all so similar. And it, it's really interesting. Um, yeah, it's cool. It's fun and it's it's neat to make the connections and I I, I agree one hundred percent with what you said and it's just like I had uh, a gentleman be like hey you want to come up and hunt my place in Montana and I was like well I'm I'm moving to Colorado next week this was last year and I was like I I don't really know what's going on he's like all right well you know keep my number I'll I'll send you some pictures now and then to like game on my property and you know and then when you're ready just let me know and you can come up and hunt and he, he without a doubt like once a month I get a picture of like a giant antelope buck or a mule deer <laughs> or a moose or an elk and I'm just like this is so cool and it's just like he just came up to me at the cooking competition and we started talking and about Montana. And I was like, I'd love to hunt in Montana someday. And he's like, why not this year? And I was like, well, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly okay. how the conversations go. They're so like, I, I'm as a guy who grew up asking permission on private mm-hmm. for just about everything, like having people that are just willing to come up to you and offer stuff to you. Like, Oh yeah, I'd love to. I, you drew a moose tag. Oh, I got you for moose, man. Like, Oh, you you enjoy whatever region sixty seven of Idaho? Yeah, if you ever draw a mountain goat tag, let me know because I know where those goats are. Like people are just super open to uh, to helping you out, and they don't expect anything in return. They just know that you're a BHA member. You're here supporting conservation, supporting hunting and mm-hmm. fishing. You're putting in the time. Like if they can help you be more successful in the field, they absolutely will. And you or I yeah. would do the same thing if we knew. Like if somebody wants really, really, really wants to come run raccoons in southern Illinois, I can put you on some raccoons. I don't I don't see that as a big draw. We don't get a lot of out-of-staters coming in to chase raccoons <laughs> in this part of the country. But if you wanted to, you could. I, I would help. I would assist. <laughs> nice. No, I, I like it. Um, let's, uh, let, let's shift gears a little bit. I do want to talk uh, about some food, being that we are a very food-based <laughs> podcast. And then we'll, we'll close it out. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of – the importance of the outdoor outdoors to military members. And we, we kind of scratched the surface of it and you, you definitely mentioned like some of your personal experiences, but I think there's a lot of good information 
and a lot of relevant information that folks don't understand. I think it's it's really cool to kind of understand the connection. But let's talk about some food. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, so the, the first recipe that I wanted to talk about, and this one, so these are all up on BHA's website under their field to table uh, section, and I'll put the show notes in there as always. But uh, last year I kind of started in the midst of moving and transferring and everything. So unfortunately it didn't get as detailed as I wanted, but I started putting together military inspired, uh, dishes specifically to help, uh, the armed forces initiative kind of get some good face time in the culinary world, but also say, Hey, look at these cool military food traditions we have, which translate over into wild game. And then I, I included some cool history in there. So, um, back in August, uh, I shared, so in, in the Coast Guard, I'll tell you, we call them hamsters, but they are in fact not made of hamsters. Uh, they're typically chicken cordon bleu, and we serve them on the Coast Guard cutters. Uh, I made a wild turkey version, so essentially just pounded the turkey breast flat, uh, used, I think I used prosciutto and... What did I use? Swiss cheese and then Dijon mustard, seasoned it, garlic powder, and then uh, rolled it into a ball. And that's kind of where it gets its name of a hamster because when you make it with a with a chicken breast, it looks like a little rolled hamster. Um, but and, and is equally as delicious. Yeah, as a absolutely. <laughs> and you don't have to worry about the crunch. Exactly. <laughs> um, so you take that and you roll it in flour and then you do a little egg wash and then you do panko. And then from there you can either, if you're really adventurous, you can fry it or you can bake it. Uh, and then you get basically what the French call chicken cordon bleu or turkey cordon bleu in my case but i made that uh inspired by some wild turkey you can certainly do it with domestic turkey if you want but um it's got a a rich coast guard tradition uh that that i really latch on to um and it's just really fun a fun recipe so there's that one so that's from kind of the nautical wor- world and then this other one i'm totally going to butcher the name on it because uh um it's a stew but i'm i'm guessing slum gillian stew yeah does that sound yeah. sound yeah that's what i would have said yeah yeah so um this i made it with venison and it's inspired uh so we released this one on April 6th, which April 6th, on April 6th, 1917, uh, Congress voted to declare war, uh, joining Britain, France, and Russia on the fight against Germans in World War One. So we released that in accordance with that. And this uh, Slumgillion stew, I'll probably say it different every time because <laughs> I don't remember, <laughs> um, was pretty popular in the trenches during World War One, And it's literally kind of a... It's kind of a smorgasbord of all types of different um, meats and vegetables and essentially whatever they had. Um, I talk a little bit too, like the origin story of the nickname Doughboy and uh, all all that. But uh, I mean, man, these – it's crazy because when you think about – conflict and you think about food and the distribution of food it's like 
it's very much, and as you know, Trevor, it's like there are people in the military services that train specifically of like, how am I going to get the food from point A to point B and how am I going to cook it and feed everybody and, you know, not get attacked in doing so. Like it's, it's a very real thing. Oh, absolutely. Um, So this is one of those results of like the quartermasters who would have been people in charge of kind of the kitchens and all that back then kind of just coordinated the throwing of everything together. So you ended up with like the leftover or kitchen sink or garbage soup, uh, I think are kind of more modern terms people use, but, uh, um, basically anything and everything, but I kept it pretty straightforward and used, uh, ground venison and onion and garlic and celery and game stock. Of course you can use beef stock, Navy beans, red potatoes, tomato paste. And then, uh, just to make it a little more fancier, I used, uh, herb de Provence, which is kind of a blend of French herbs. They're dried, or you can use Italian seasonings and you basically throw all those together and then just let it cook until all the meat's done, and then uh, you eat it. Um, but I, I borrowed for the photo. I borrowed a canteen cup from one of my buddies, and he's like, "I got a cool like old vintage uh, uh, belts you can do with it too." So we took some cool photos and had some fun with it. Yeah, uh, I see that. It's it's a cool photo. I was looking at that. That's that's neat. Thank you, thank you. That that is not the uh, that is not the fields of France. That is the the backyard in Key West. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, few and far between, I guess. <laughs> no, it's actually interesting. Um, so, just so everybody knows, I got my undergraduate degree in history and um, really enjoy studying American history and as it relates directly to like uh, the veterans kind of healing process is so after Hemingway served in World War One as a as a medic or as an ambulance uh, driver back then something mm-hmm. in the medical yeah, ambulance corps. driver yeah, yeah 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 so after that he uh he volunteered a few years later to uh, kind of go behind the enemy lines in like a special operations type role during the Spanish Civil War and after that one of his big uh his big ways to kind of like recover and just what he found worked was chasing swordfish and snook and tarpon in the Florida Keys. Like yep. his, his boats in the Florida Keys or the remake of his boat is at the Bass Pro down there. And, yep, uh, the Pilar. Yeah. Yeah. Which is one of the main characters of the, of his book for whom the bell tolls about being behind the lines in France. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there. See, it's all it all ties together. That was purposely 100%. taken in, in the Florida That Keys. was good. Yeah. We we uh we tied yeah, you did that well. Yeah. <laughs> um and then the last one I, I want to talk about, so we'll we'll fast forward a little bit uh to Vietnam era. So this is a cool kind of history clip. So um if you think about so we talked about kind of the responsibilities of field cooks and stuff in World War One, and then in World War Two, and then through Korea, and later you had the development of these kind of uh, meals ready to eat, MREs, the Charlie rations, like all these kind of prepared foods that were shelf stable. And so in Vietnam, Charlie rations were very, very common. And so in 1966, the Tabasco Company uh, the ones that make the little sauce or big sauce or depending on what bottle type you like, uh, 
they began printing and selling the Charlie Ration cookbook. Uh, and that was basically you could call them or mail or whatever the process was back then. There was no internet, so you weren't going on and ordering it online. But you could have a bottle of Tabasco sauce sent overseas to your friend or loved one and wrapped around that would be the Charlie Ration cookbook. And it was basically a play of using what were viewed at as the time, uh, local ingredients attainable in Vietnam, and then also combinations of food that could be obtained from the rations. And some of those, uh, it, it was illustrated. Um, I forget who illustrated it. Somebody, there's a, it was a famous illustrator, but they, there's some interesting drawings in there and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, some recipes like foxhole dinner for two, ceasefire casserole, like uh, one recipe was titled battlefield fufu uh, or chicken with peanut butter sauce. And so that one kind of stood out to me. Um, but instead of using chicken, uh, I wanted to use some pheasant. So I did roasted pheasant with peanut sauce over rice and uh, basically used that recipe as a guide. And uh, made made a pretty delicious uh, delicious recipe, I would say. So you oh, I've three... had this one. I made this one. This is this one was great. We, oh, uh, thank you. Yeah. So my my wife's family owns a uh, like a cabin out in South Dakota for pheasant hunting. That they go to every year. I was going to marry her, you know, either way. But that was a huge uh, <laughs> huge plus for for her. But uh, no, so they always they have like five really pheasant recipes that they go after. And I showed up with this one, um, I want to say, yeah, it was last fall, and just blew their socks off. Like, And I'm not a great cook, but yeah, I was really impressed with this one. It was, re- it was really good. So, Thank you. Good job. Thank you. Uh, I won't take all the credit. Obviously, the uh, the authors of the Charlie Ration cookbook definitely held mm-hmm. a, a heavy hand. But um, uh, you, you pre-cook your pheasant, either chunked or, or shredded, and then – you make your sauce, which is literally like peanut butter, soy sauce, honey, sriracha, Tabasco, of course, because there's going to be Tabasco in it. Um, and then to thin it out, water, teriyaki sauce. And then it's so simple. Just serve it over rice. And I promise you, just like Trevor said, like I really enjoyed that. And I'm I'm not a big uh, like peanut butter person. I, I don't enjoy a lot of peanut butter, but it, it worked well. Yeah, it's surprising it, like, how mu- how yeah. those flavors just kind of go together and just yeah, it's weird. So, um, those are kind of the three recipes I think I, I really enjoy putting together. Those uh, I've got another one on the back burner, and I'll, I'll tell you about this one. I haven't sent it in yet, but you may know this already. But the McRib from McDonald's mm-hmm. is inspired by uh, by military cuisine. I did in not more modern know that. times. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you look at, think back to MREs and that, uh, the pork patty with barbecue sauce. Yeah, it's got it, the, it like, looks exactly like a McRib. Yep, yep. Yeah, that makes so, sense. So uh, I made a ground venison version of the McRib and put it uh, put it on the pellet smoker, gave it a good, uh, you know, not a good smoke, but, you know, when you grill on those, you get that nice smoky flavor and then incorporated some good barbecue sauce in it and all that. Oh, man, I tell you, it, it turned out phenomenal. But that's that's uh, that's going to come come to a, a web page near you. 
uh, in the near future. So keep an eye out for that one. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you have any go-to recipes? What are some of your favorites? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll eat just about anything. I'm not a super picky eater. I really can't put my finger on a favorite. It's seasonal, right? So like mm-hmm. up here, it's been all about ice fishing in Wisconsin for the past, you know, three months. So it's just been old Bay and some deep fried walleye frying perch, like just doing that. And that's really what I look forward to all years to do that during ice fishing. Like it's just, it's warm. You could do it out on the ice in your little hut. It's a really good time. And then right now, actually, just before we started recording this, I, uh, I put three or four snow geese breasts in a, uh, in a brine to make corn snow goose. Cause we got yeah. St. Patrick's day coming up and that's, like I do that with all my geese now, and some guys are hearing that are probably like, "Oh, you need to do this, this, and this." I've had geese a bunch of ways; they're all good, but I am like a corned beef fanatic. Put it in eggs, put it with potatoes, put it on a sandwich. Oh, you yes. just slice it up and leave it frozen in little packages, and you stick it in the inside of your coat before you go elk hunting or whatever. And it's thawed by the time you get to the mountain, and it's it's pre seasoned. It tastes good, no matter what. And honestly, it's uh. Yeah, so right now my favorite thing is the corn goose that's in my brine in my fridge 15 feet away. So, but uh, no, I mean, really big fan of keeping things simple. Another thing I picked up since moving up here to Wisconsin is uh, all the Great Lakes salmon. It's mm-hmm. just kind of doing, I'm not great at it, but I'm really trying to do like sashimi style, like like sushi yeah. and just kind of make use of this ultra fresh fish that's available 20 minutes from my house. Like you just go get them. Like fish that are Ooh. forty bucks in the the supermarket or the deli or whatever, like you could just go get one, and it's it's not super difficult. You're gonna have a couple days where you don't get anything, but uh, I honestly, another plug for BHA here. Ran into a couple BHA guys randomly on the docks, and they're like, "Oh, what are you using? Oh, try this!" And like, let me tie one of their spoons on, and we're throwing these ten foot like surf rods out there, and immediately hooked up, like just super willing to share information and. We split the fish up. It was, I want to say it was like a 36-inch king salmon, like just perfect. But, yeah, so that's one of the things I really really get into, like just really basic salmon, white rice with a little bit of soy sauce, like just, mm. again, not great so far, but that hits the spot in the summertime, man. Like that's just perfect. Ooh, yeah. Look at good poke bowl. Oh, yeah. I miss that. I miss the summer in Florida Keys. <laughs> but I just that, and I, I just spent a day in uh, San Diego. Was out in Fort Irwin, and then uh, we finished a project at Fort Irwin early. So I got a hotel in San Diego before my flight. And uh, yeah, that's all I did yesterday was sit on Coronado Air Station and eat poke bowls, oysters, and grilled octopus. So I'm I'm fresh off oh, a pretty yeah. pretty big seafood kick Ooh, and sixty great. degree weather. Now I'm back in Wisconsin. It's eight. Ugh. Ooh, it's been warm here. Today's the first day. It broke seventy today, but wow. it's it's supposed to snow Saturday, so it's yeah. not. Yeah, yeah it's short lived. I think I got one weekend left of. Yeah, I'm looking at my calendar here. This will be my last weekend for ice fishing, and then after this on this Sunday, I'm gonna have to pull my mink trap line. So, mink and muskrat. By the way, you know. For all you Catholics out there, today is Fat Tuesday when we're recording mm-hmm. this, which means tomorrow is Ash Wednesday when we have to make our lives terrible for the next 40 days for Jesus. <laughs> I can say that. I grew up Catholic. I know. I've been doing it for 30-plus years. But um, did you know you're allowed to eat muskrat during Lent? 
because it has a scaly tail and it lives in the water. So the Catholic Church decided it's fish. Same with beaver. So I was about to say, what about beaver then? So you, yeah. you just answered a question that I've had for a long time because like I went to college in New Orleans and I've had this conversation many a times. I'm like, well, so that also makes me think about nutria too. Yep, nutria in, works in and so does, so does alligator. Huh. Yeah, and so and it actually like people like to put it as like just like a joke like, ah, the Catholic Church, the world's flat and they don't know what's going on. But that's interesting because if you go back to like the Middle Ages, like scientists and the church were all like combined. And like mm-hmm. now we have whatever it is, genus, species, whatever. The bio- Some biologists can correct me on that. But like that's how we describe families of animals, mm-hmm. you know, is by biological similarities. Whereas back then they described families of animals based on uh, habitat and geography. So like you had mountain animals, you had burrowing animals, you had terrestrial animals, you had sea animals now. Whether it breathed air or breathed water or, you know, what doesn't matter. It lived in the sea. It's in this family of animals, right? So alligators, any kind of swimming lizard, turtles, those are all fish, including beavers and muskrats. So you can huh. eat those. So, that, so that's where it comes from, and it's pretty interesting. But, um, yeah, I didn't realize you, uh, you're in New Orleans. Like, that's, that's probably one of my favorite wild game recipes. Like, if I have to pick one, that's what it is. It's, uh, I'm trying to remember, it's just a... Uh, Oh yeah, Broadway Oyster Bar. Does that sound familiar? So I know there's one in St. Louis, and I think there's one in New Orleans, but it's a really just Cajun restaurant. But they have uh, they have an alligator crawfish cheesecake, and I've been trying to replicate that recipe with iguanas because iguana meat and alligator meat is similar. Mm-hmm. And I know you you guys are probably yeah. thinking like, oh, that's disgusting, Trevor. It's not a dessert. It's a appetizer. They give you like warm pieces of pita bread and it's like a gouda based cheese. I mean, you're the chef, you figure it out, but it's a very smoky flavor with like mm-hmm. chunks of alligator, chunks of crawfish in it. And you like scoop some of that, that oh, cheesecake out yeah, and you spread yeah, it on yeah. pita. It's good. I, I love it. Yeah. Like, like a dip. Yeah. It's more of a dip. Exactly. And less of a cheesecake. I think I've call had, it cheesecake I, for marketing. I think I've had this uh, before. Not at that, maybe at that restaurant. Maybe I've been there and I don't remember. No. But, they, um, well, they also have it at, uh, at Lorelei's. On uh, Isla Mirada. Okay. I know where that's at. So that's down there in the Keys. So I've had it a couple places, so I know it's not just one chef, like, losing his mind or or getting really high or something and inventing it. It's a thing. (laughs) It's definitely turned into, uh, yeah, something commonplace. And I think, you know, I I, I applaud you for getting behind the iguana meat uh, movement because it's definitely, like, I'm a big supporter of that. Like, in in Key West, we had them everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've got some good recipes on the website, like iguana and mango, what is it, coconut, coconut, iguana, tacos, or mango. I bet that would be amazing. Yeah, it's pretty good. You, you essentially just like steam or boil it and then shred it, shred the meat off yeah. the bone, kind of treating it like snake. And sure. then, um, then simmering it in like a coconut based kind of spicy mango sauce and then putting that on a taco. Yeah, that's yeah. honestly that's pretty similar to uh, I had grilled octopus tacos in San Diego yesterday, mm. and it sounds like really similar. There's coconut, there was mango, there was like lime, but it was just really simple. Like this was grilled octopus, so you could you could just do shredded iguana. Like it's gonna, yeah, iguana's good. Eat more iguana. Like mm-hmm. we're hot, a big, big promoter. Big We've fan. got a great uh, eat more invasive species shirt over on the mm-hmm. website. It's a great one. Nice. Uh, I might I might. I might bring that one up to rendezvous and have it have it available. 
Uh, you should. Since last year, I took. I'm trying to think, and maybe you can help me with this. Not not necessarily now, but last year I took up a lionfish, and I'm trying to decide if I want to try to take up lionfish again, or if I want to try to do another invasive species. So, well, I don't know how the judging is going to go, or what people think. Not generally good at guessing that, but I can tell you that uh, I was just up in Minnesota setting up that for a veterans ice fishing event and then setting up that dog sledding thing for next year. I know the Minnesota cooking team is n- did not change their recipe. <gasps> what? This is hot intel. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to give them away anything because it's a damn good recipe. I mean, it's, yeah, it was really good. I tasted it, it too. It was pretty good. And so I talked to those guys and they're like, no, this is a winner. This is what we're doing. So... And they may have just been telling me that because I did kind of pre- – when I asked them, I did I had a predecessor of just like uh, – I was just like, hey, I mean, it's not like I go talk to every single chapter for a job all the time, so I probably won't tell anybody. And they just laugh and they're like, yeah, same menu, sticking with the winning. I'm like, okay. Mm. So I nice. think if I was judging, I would give you points for creativity and bringing something new to the table. Now, I'm not judging – and I'm not a good cook. So, you know, take that as far as you could throw it. But That's fair. That's fair. Um, man, I'd like to talk about the hunting and military service, but I feel like we hit it, we hit it pretty well earlier, unless you sure. want to go through it a little deeper. Um, We're kind of hitting that hour mark. So. Okay. Well, I can go quick. Let me go real quick. So, okay. uh, yeah, one of the biggest things that I really like just – historically based is you can you can google this but uh one of the big reasons like theodore roosevelt started creating the national park service was to help uh, with some of his guys that he served with in the Mm spanish-american war and then so i mean there's an immediate relevance from over 100 years ago about just public wild places and the veterans kind of i don't want to call it a recovery process because i don't think we're broken i just want to call it a the veteran process or the veteran experience right so then you go fast forward 18 years, you've got World War One. you actually have Red Cross nurses in like 1915, 30 miles behind the lines in France, teaching shell shock victims to uh, fly fish. And they have video of it, and it's really cool. Like on video one, it's the same set of like guys, and they're just shaking so bad and that they can't barely hold a fly rod. And then the same patients, three weeks later, just dropping these beautiful dry flies on whatever river they're on in France. And... You know, then we talked about Hemingway earlier, but he's a great case for it. Like, this guy served in World War One, was in the Spanish-American War, went on uh, on shore on D-Day as a journalist, like, lost, I can't remember what it is, like, two wives, three kids died. Like, if, if this guy doesn't have PTSD, then I don't know what, I don't know who does, right? And he found solace fly fishing in Idaho, Montana, chasing big game and chasing big fish in the Florida Keys. Like there's a huge historical record of this just working. And it's not, it's not about catching fish. It's not about killing animals. It's just about being out there, being out there with other veterans, learning how to do something. Cause that's the goal, right? It's not, let me take these veterans on a cool trip. It's let me take these veterans on a cool trip and then teach them how to replicate that trip on their own, all the skills necessary to do so. And mm-hmm. then three, why trips like this are important, why places like this are important, and then how they as veterans can use that card to kind of make sure these wild public places stay public. I mean, for we have one we have one card to play. 
right? And for whatever reason, right now, you could stand up to a congressman and say, well, as a tax attorney, I think this. And, or you could stand up and say, as a veteran, I think this. And they're going to give more credence to the veteran voice. We have one card to play. Let's, let's make the best use of it. But, uh, yeah, that's my pitch. Join AFI. Come to some of our camps. And if you can't do either of those things, just give me a whole bunch of money, and I'll put it to good use. <laughs> What's, uh, so uh, I'll, I'll put the link to the website uh, in there. And then we have various social media platforms, Facebook, uh, Armed Forces Initiative. You can look it up. And then uh, BHA underscore AFI on Instagram. Yep, yep, you're correct. Man, got it right. Nailed it. You got, uh, which is an ever growing. I encourage everyone to go there. So, yeah. um, and follow. It's a great page. Just because you run it, buddy. That's why it's so great. <laughs> no, no, it's because you send me the pictures. <laughs> mm-hmm. You get the cool adventures. I just tell people about them. <laughs> um, so. What was I going to say? Uh, all right. So this is kind of the, the last part of the show where I give everybody kind of the opportunity, everybody being you and me, last moment, last thought, whatever you want to leave me or or the guests, listeners, whatever we want to call them, the folks out there. Going back to the BHA and the AFI's mission, like public land is an essential part of American freedom. Public land, public waters, these wild places, you only get them in this country. And you, you could argue that you get them in Canada, but don't they call them like Queensland or the King's Land? Like if it's called the King's Land, it's not public land. That doesn't work, Canada. Figure it out. But anyway, um, no, so you only get these wild public places in America. It's an essential piece of American freedom. And as veterans, like as active duty members, National Guard Reserves, this military community, you earn these places. Mm-hmm. Like we've all done – we've all, we've all seen – we've all done – we've all had pretty rough last 20 years of constant warfare – like the last time America wasn't at war, I was in sixth grade. Like there's a whole generation of me's out there, you's out there. Like it, it's been a rough 20 years, guys. I can, the AFI, BHA, we can make the next 20 years pretty damn good. We just need your help, you know? Come to the camps, get involved. Nice. I like it. All right. Well, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm proud to be, you know, part of this group and organization and I, I completely echo what Trevor says like good work there's nothing there's nothing malicious or bad or anything nobody's trying to hustle anybody we just want to uh, provide an avenue for those that want to get involved in the outdoors to either stay involved in the outdoors or become involved in the outdoors and I yes, think sir. that's uh, that's that's the biggest thing so um like I mentioned earlier, I encourage everybody to head over to the BHA AFI page and follow that. And if you have one of those, there's – goodness, what did we track last? Eight or nine Instagram profiles, I think, for the installations. Yeah, there's a bunch of them spread out, there. out Yeah, there's a bunch. So if, if you go on Instagram and you search AFI, you'll see them pop up. They have the BHA logo in, like, green. Uh, you'll see them pop up there on Instagram. Follow those guys, and if, if they're in your local area, if you want to connect with some of the state liaisons, you know, reach out to uh, – oh, Trevor, what's a good email or point of contact for you? Yeah, biggest thing is uh, just my email. Uh, so it's my last name, hubs, H-U-B-B-S, at backcountryhunters.org. That's hunters, plural. People always mess that up. So, yeah. Got it. Yeah, and, uh, you know, reach reach out via one of those channels and uh, 
We're happy to get you pointed in the right direction. Other than that, also make sure you're following Harvest in Nature on whatever social media you're on because we always have good stuff, exciting stuff going on there, especially as the year goes on. Lots of more exciting things, I promise you. And then, uh, as always, whatever podcast platform you're listening to, please punch that five-star button. Leave us a written review. We're still giving away hats for reviews, so if you leave us a good review or a written review, we read it on the air. We'll send you a hat. That's a cool thing. Not many people just give away hats to give away hats, but we do because we love you. We charge then, for our uh, hats. Yeah, I, I just <laughs> I just mail them out. That's right. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, tell us what we're doing wrong or, you know, tell us what we're doing right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. I'm Will Cooper, host of Hunt Stand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, Download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.